Blog Talk Radio. KWOD Radio, and this is Patty Holstrand, and it's Sunday. It's better than Monday. Anything better than Monday, isn't it? But you know what? We're not on Monday yet. So grab a drink, and sit back and relax, and let's talk about space. And anything else, but mostly space. (laughs) We've got Don here in this, well, in, you know, in our house. And we're going to be talking about space tonight. We're going to be talking about politics. Talking about with the movers and shakers of space. I always thought those were quasars, but, you know, what do I know? I'm a girl. Hi, I'm Joe. And Al is also here tonight. And we're going to take over right now. Are we ready to go? Yes. Hey, Joe. Hey, girl. This is Joe and this is Al. And what are you up to today, Al? Oh, we got some new news and stuff this week from Space World. Next Space. Talking about all the, actually, the really wild stuff that goes on this week. Now, just just so as everybody knows, I kind of collect my stuff by um, perusing different stuff, mostly from Facebook, where I get access to articles where other space enthusiasts will post stuff. And then I do my own surfing and, and looking and watching and stuff. You know, I think nowadays a lot of people are keeping an eye on SpaceX. Uh, many of us keeping an eye on ULA and, and um, those companies. We're also watching Russia and the politics news and, and government news and things like that. So, but uh, I, I tend to troll and, you know, it's fun. Some of the things that people post these days and things that we find out about. And we're going to start with just a few little interesting trinkets here. Um, as we talk about stuff tonight, we're going to put links up on the show and let people know just where we're getting these these sources from. First thing we're talking about tonight, this is for the uh, space geek who ain't got everything yet. I mean, this is this is awesome. The French, leave it to the French, okay? Somebody has got way too much time on their hands. Check out this website. It's a $330,000 watch that has all the planets rotating in real time. Now, I've seen watches before that had, you know, little little notches for watches and the different planets, and, you know, and notches and little holes and, you know, little moon peaks out and it's different phases and stuff like that. But this is, this is actually incredible. Um, Van Cleef and Arpels have un- unveiled 
a watch that tracks the rotation of six planets visible from Earth in real time. Now, it's called the Midnight Planetarium, and it really is a love letter to ancient astronomy. And they've got some great pictures in here and a video. So, you know, it's just one of those things that's kind of interesting because uh, it is kind of related to space and the next space. Mm. Next, $330,000. Sure. This is for all those lottery millionaires. If they're Holy looking crap. for something to spend their money on, <laughs> here's kind of a watch that would do it. They could almost get to space on that. Just about. Just about. So just let everybody know, right underneath the show information is going to be your chat area, and that's where you can find these links. Obviously, a little information about it. You know, say the, you know, gifts for the space geek and a little bit about that. And then, of course, the direct link to you guys who didn't click straight, straight on there. Okay, next up. Back in, um, gosh, what year was that? Uh, Apollo 15. 43 years ago, <laughs> David Scott landed Apollo 15's lunar man module on the moon. Okay. Now, July was a celebrated month, but when they brought things back, they recently, and, and, and you know, I, I'm not sure if it's uh, um, where they get these, these pieces or who brings them. I'm, I'm guessing that uh, um, the crewmen collected the thing before they left the thing to, to crash land back on the moon. You know, this is a whole new meaning to joystick. $600,000 well, joystick. I mean, you know, I could say something. Like what? <laughs> what could you offer that can't be any worse than this? I mean, it's it's really heavy duty. It's it's ergonomic. It's got hand holds on it. I'd expect a whole lot of, you know, a whole lot of joy for $600,000. <laughs> I've marked much of done the you know the planet rotating clock. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have better vibrating all a, sorts of stuff well, by then. Yeah, now okay, come on, let's 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 get back to Earth so we can go back into space and get off of the bedroom. All right. Out of the bedroom. Out of the bedroom. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to get somewhere. You know the the uh, controller and crewman optical alignment site from the same space track spacecrafts top the sales results. That one actually sold um, for $126,180. Okay, so, so this so. is the joystick that the actual astronaut used on Apollo 15 is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. it, so it's a piece of memorabilia. Yeah, something that he probably, you know, disconnected from the lunar module when they climbed back into the command module and then jettisoned it. Um, Apparently, it sold for one hundred twenty-six thousand dollars. Well, that was that was the optical alignment site oh. from the spacecraft. So it's yeah. just you know, the quote on the article says that in many cases, stuff like this that are normally abandoned by the crew after use or lost forever to history is disposable equipment, um, and oftentimes it gets vaporized uh, on impact with the surface. Vaporized, uh, but. Every once in a while, the astronauts would have grabbed something that was easy to take with them, and this is these are a couple of examples of those things. That they can sell um, later when they're not doing well? Well, I, I think it's just, I don't know that they really think in those terms. It's just something, hey, I was on the moon. 
this was on the moon with me. And I'm going to take this home for my own. Yeah, and I was touching this, and I want to take it home to show my kids and my grandkids. You know? I, I think that's more of what, okay. when people do great things like this, they land on the moon and things like that, they want to take wow. something oh, yeah. to remember Some people take rocks. Some people take rocks. He just enjoys this. Yeah, there is the whole. No, I'm not going to get started on the whole rock thing. Okay, we're going to we'll hold that to another commentary section okay. later on. You know, it's interesting. Something I haven't followed until recently is is various different conventions and uh, space geek uh, events, and I've only recently started to take an interest in a lot of these. And something that kind of caught my eye because it was on Facebook, um, the Mars Society is starting to publicize. Um, their August convention this year going to be held in League City, Texas. Uh, it's their annual International Mars Society convention. Um, they've got calls for paper on their website. Uh, they've got some invited speakers. Um, you know, some of whom um, include, uh, for example, Jeffrey Bennett, founder of Big Kid Science. You've got uh, William. Uh, Baruki, veteran space scientist uh, at NASA Ames Center. Um, and there's Mark Geyer, Everett Gibson, again, more senior scientists and so forth. Mike Griffin, former NASA administrator, is going to be this there. This is the 17th annual. Yeah. So they've been at this for 17 years. Now, I know Mars Society's been around a lot yet, longer. But, they, but they've been going Well, they're, they're not on Mars yet either. Yeah. They're not on Mars yet. I mean, it's and just... yeah, they've been talking about it for 17 years. Oh, actually, they've been talking about it a lot longer than that. Well, I'm saying at the convention. Well, that's true. So it, 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 it could be an interesting thing. Um, so it's just funny. Okay. People have to look at their, at their, at their uh, website, and I'm going to give it to you. 17th Annual International Mars Society Convention, and they've got a picture of sailboats. <laughs> In water. Well, you know, if you think about it, water and the seas represent uh, a very um, telling, a very poignant amalgam to going into space. Sailing in space bears a great deal of similarity to sailing on Earth. You're charting your course by virtue of not only the stars, but the planets as well. You're charting your course by virtue of... uh, the solar wind, by virtue of your, your trajectory, your course. All of these things are, are a part of stuff. Um, when you go on to the, to the website for the convention, uh, it's actually not all that expensive. Um, I don't think. Oh, here you go. Your, your regular member uh, includes a banquet, um, $150. If you're a non-member um, expire or expired, you're looking at $210 for a convention membership. And they've got some additional pricing items listed here. You can actually purchase your membership right on the website. So have a go. Check it out. Um, another little bit of news things. Okay, we got some exciting news from this week. All right. They have found a new crater. Can you believe that? A new crater on Mars. Now, keep in mind, this thing was spotted... Uh, when on the uh, on March 27th, somebody saw a black spot on Mars that they hadn't seen before. So the guy had to investigate, and in the course of his investigations, he went back seven uh, uh, a couple of years 
and then started going forward, narrowing it down, and um, spotted a fre reasonably fresh crater um, that appeared sometime in March of 2012. Now, of course, one side of my mind says, why did it take them two years to figure out the crater was there and that it was new? Um, but, you know, it's, this is tough. I mean, when you consider these guys are scouring over images of, of an entire planet to look and see new and interesting stuff. I mean, it's like, it's, it's almost as bad as expecting to be able to find new planets in the universe that might be Earth-like. I mean, you're looking at this image, and in most cases, this is not a color image, and it's this image of dots. And, you, and a lot of times, from what I saw, they are in reverse image. In other words, you're looking at a black sheet on which, or I'm sorry, a light sheet on which are black spots that represent um, the stars and everything like that. And you're trying to measure the distance that a star millions and millions of light years away, is wobbling. Wobbling. Yeah, that's what they're looking for. Wobble. They're looking for a little wobble. And mind you, this wobble is about maybe what? I, an atom's thickness on the paper. And they're trying to spot this. It's kind of like a needle in the haystack thing. Oh, no, 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 no. This is like trying to find the atom on the head yeah, of the, the pin that goes through the eye of the needle in the haystack <laughs> in a sand dune on Mars. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, okay. this is some heavy stuff. I mean, it, it, the interesting thing about this is, is, of course, that it tells us, that, first of all, the, the solar system is still very, very active, well, that, it, that something could actually impact on Mars recently, as recently as the last two years. And we had an impact on the moon recently as well that they actually spotted as uh, in hey, addition. guess what? What? I saw Saturn. You saw Saturn? Yes. Oh, that's right. You, I was, that you was joined so cool. the astronomy club, right? Well, I, I, I was sent, you know, we, we were actually diverting the zombies away from the astronomy club. Mm -hmm. uh, or they were part of the astronomy club. I'm not sure which, but... They were showing us, you know, what they were looking at in their telescopes, and, and they had uh, Saturn on one of them, which you saw the rings even, and that was just totally cool to me. You saw Saturn with your naked eye? Um, well, not naked with eye, the, no. With it had to have a telescope to do this. Oh, okay. They, they had telescopes there. Okay. But anyway, they had <laughs> naked eye. <laughs> My naked eye was on the telescope. I know, uh -huh. it's just so sorted. But I was actually able to see Saturn for the first time in my life. That's pretty cool. In, you know, in the sky. Well, that's where it usually stays. <laughs> <laughs> so that was just totally cool. I'd like to thank the Astronomy Club for that, by the way. Was it the Astronomy Club? What, it, was, it was Phoenix. Do you remember the name of the group? I can look it up. This was at Leprechaun just this last uh, a couple, weekends couple ago. of weekends ago. Um, science fiction and fantasy convention. Had a great time there. A lot, lot of stuff to do. I got to see uh, Saturn. And you got to see Saturn. Yeah, that, that made my weekend. <laughs> to hell with the rest Saturn's of the convention. Like, I know. Well, you know, I heard a rumor oh, no. <laughs> that somebody held a food fight 
at that convention. Well, actually, we were shooting zombies, but shooting we, zombies. Sure. Well, okay. Does that qualify as a food fight? Yeah, tried to shoot food at them. Oh. Yeah. Marshmallows, to be exact. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I heard they were like dipped in something. They were just in blood. Really. That sounds like more into something that vampires would like to come to instead. Well, we didn't have any brains around. <laughs> so you used the marshmallows to substitute? Even with the astronomy club, we were still short brains. So you... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's bad. That's bad. Moving on. Moving on. Okay, Russia is at it again. They've uh, developed a manned space program to replace the ISS... And they've now negotiated with China joint exploration of Mars and Venus. Of course, uh, and this is from uh, astrowatch.net, the thing of it is, uh, and of course that could be a misnomer, it says Russia develops the SPANS program, and yet in the very first line of the paragraph they're saying Russia is developing um, a program of manned space explorations. Now, it's going to be interesting to see you know, Russia has talked about going both to the moon and to Mars for decades now. Well, they're um, also going to Venus. Well, yeah, that's that's the other thing. Um, Didn't think anybody would go to Venus. Right. Well, it's, it is a second planet. Venus does have an atmosphere. Barely. Well, keep in mind, that atmosphere is enough to not, crush you if you got in there. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, hello, I'm not like... It'd be a, like, it'd be like jumping... Like vacation there. It'd be, Venus is kind of like a cannibal cooking pot of the solar system. So why do you think they call it Venus? Goddess of love. Yeah. And it has to do... the pressure cooks you? <laughs> huh... Oh, yeah, I could imagine an Irish. Mean, I could imagine maybe woman. an. I, I could imagine an Irish redhead. Redhead could probably pressure cook me. Yeah, fiery true. temper and hot looking. Absolutely. Man, I wouldn't know where I was coming or going. That'd be enough of a. Apparently, you'd be this. going. <laughs> maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Anyway. Be. Russia, I think you know. I, I, sad to say, I, I really wonder if Russia is trying is is floundering here. Um, they need to get their house in order before they can tackle projects of this size, even with partners of, like China. Um, the U.S. has got the same problem. NASA is floundering. There, there are challenges that await them, uh, and yet it, it almost seems like all these engineers are just unable to get their act together. Maybe it's not the engineers. Maybe it's the administrators. Well, you know, it has something to do with unemployment. I don't know about that. These people are employed by NASA. They're employed okay. by Roscosmos. So, so they're still working. Then. So they're still working. But somebody's got their head up where the sun don't shine and can't seem to make any decent long-term plans and goals that don't take gazillions of dollars or rubles or whatever it is. I'd say they better start. Somebody needs to get started. I mean, or somebody throwing, else will be working their space. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful thing that they're setting... Uh, goals and, and they're working with uh, other nations to build these things. But I, I got to wonder, I mean, uh, China, China's got a lot of stuff going on in the right direction. I mean, yeah. they've, they've, they've put up, uh, just in the last couple of years, they've put up their first space station. They've, they've sent up multiple manned missions to that space station. Um, they've embarked on a very aggressive manned space flight program. And they're in, in the same vein that, that SpaceX has 
embarked upon a very aggressive space development program, so too has China embarked on that same aggressive program. Now, when we look at NASA, when we look at the other uh, national programs that are out there, um, we don't see the kind of aggressiveness that we see in China's program and in SpaceX program. A lot of it is business as usual, same old, same old. Yeah, you pay us multi-billion dollars and well, we'll send something into space. Well, do with the new guys. The new guy thing. They're excited about it. Sure. It is new to them. It's and it's, new to them. It's, and they're doing some exciting things. I mean, uh, Russia, or excuse me, China is not beholden to Russia anymore. Um, they've made modifications on the ships and things that they acquired from, from Russia in the early days. Um, for their program, and, and they've made some real strong progress. Uh, when we speak about NASA and, and, and their programs... We're their neighbors, after all. Well, that's that's true. That's true. you got to kind of help the other neighbors. I mean, maybe they're wanting to build their own sandbox over there in yeah, Mongolia between the two. Is, you know. But, you know. Well, yeah, there is that. There is that. They don't like our sandbox, so they're going to go over to the Chinese yeah, sandbox and see if there's any room it's in closer. it. Closer. Yeah, there you go. Closer. <laughs> moving on, moving on. Next up, we've got uh, NASA has actually hit a milestone. Uh, their Morpheus lander looks like it's about ready to complete to become NASA's first fully autonomous lander. Though, I have to wonder about this because the Google Lunar X Prize has had a competition for several years now with several automated landers taking off and landing multiple times just in order to qualify. SpaceX has had the Grasshopper program for two years at least that has successfully lifted off, and not just a little scrawny little lander. I mean, well, granted, things about as big as a VW bug, but that's pretty big, yeah. But SpaceX has launched four times and landed four times successfully, increasing heights. So what you're saying is that why do we need another one? Well, no, what I'm saying is is what's NASA's problem that they're taking so long? And probably cost ten times more. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how old or how long the Morpheus program has been in place. And and it could be also, uh, okay, here, here's some information. I, again, the website, we posted it on the, on the, uh, the show. Um, and, and read down. There's, there's some good historical information here. Um, They've had 58 development tests, 34 have been, of which have been tethered flight tests. Now, you know, though, i gotta, I got to think, SpaceX didn't tether their grasshopper. No, they didn't. They shot that sucker off and waited for it to do its thing and come back down on its own. Yeah. So, and, and this... They wanted to know that that would work, that it would come back down on its own. Well, yeah. The plant. So, and... Uh, now, I will say this. Morpheus has done a couple of things SpaceX has not yet done. And, and for example, um, they've had 11 successful free flight tests, uh, including several multiple launches on a single day. Now, I don't think SpaceX has launched any ship more than once in a day. That's a tough call. So, you know... This I'm not is, sure if they would really need to ever, ever do that, really. Well, it depends. I mean, if we're looking at... Um, um, we get to Mars and find out that it's already, you know, got Martians there. 
and they need to take off the same day? Well, you know, I have to say, at the rate NASA's going, now again, I don't know how old the Morpheus program is, but after, what did I say? Uh, what did I say here? It was uh, 58 development tests, of which 34 have been tethered tests, tethered flight tests, 12 hot fire tests, or security ground, and 12 free flight tests. Okay, so they've had 34, 46 flights. All right, that's pretty good. So that's 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 making some serious progress. Well, here's my question: Why do they need so many flights just to find out how it flies? Well, chances are, with each different flight that they went through, they had challenges. Some little glitch showed up that they had to go in and fix. Okay. You know, um, and, and so I'm sure about this. I mean, forty-six times. Okay. Pretty much forty-six flights. Thirty-four of them tethered. Twelve free flight. Mm-hmm. So, actually, I think NASA's just got trust issues. Apparently. I mean, serious. Thirty-four tethered flights. <laughs> That'd, that'd be I, like that'd I'm be sorry. like getting married to a guy, and, oh, chaining him into the bedroom so he can't just, leave. That way we can just double check. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That way you can double check. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but NASA also is doing other We're giving things. Giving ideas. There you go. Okay. <laughs> hey, you know, a little leather here and uh-huh. a little. Uh, uh-huh. what, what, what's that? What's that? Uh, Plastic latex, <laughs> leather and latex. That's what it was. A little leather, a little latex. You know, a couple handcuffs. I'm, in the you fu- know, I'm, I'm more in the fuzzy. Okay. On another note, <laughs> um, Dexter, Dexter and the Canada Arm yeah. up on the ISS became the first self-repairing robotic system in space. The same as Dexter. Well, Dexter. That's the name of the robot. Cool. And so, the, check out the picture of this guy. This okay, is a pretty weird-looking, spidery-looking robot. That one didn't go well, guys. Let me do, redo that one. No, it didn't, huh? Yeah. Didn't you like it. it. It's a pretty long link. No, I don't think it's a problem. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, they've actually done some pretty awesome stuff. You've got Dexter up there, up there mounted on the, uh, the railway, looks like, and... Yeah. That, the Dexter robot, plus the Canada arm, actually executed a repair of a camera. That's the robot? That's the robot. So you guys got kind of spidery that. looking. Yeah, no. I've actually heard I it. i check that out, guys. Yeah, yeah the, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Especially, the link is not clickable. But i got to tell you, that is a freaking, that's a child of an engineer, i got to tell you. That's got so many stinking joints on it. I, well, the, Only an engineer would love that many the joints. joints, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I could it see... It reminds me of a prickly pear bush. Yeah. You know, you we're go. in Arizona after all, so... Well, yeah. We've, we've seen, I've seen my share of prickly pears. <laughs> That's in the desert, too. Yeah. <laughs> what they did is Dexter actually replaced or repaired... Um, a camera on the Canada arm. Mm-hmm. Now, the Canada arm is what is used. Um, oh, it said producing fuzzy images. See, I told yeah, you so, like fuzzy. Yeah. There you got to go. Okay. <laughs> I am um, just reading it. <laughs> some fun stuff, though. I mean, a lot of neat stuff ha- happening these days. Now, here's something new right up my alley. Okay. Okay. Um, 
afraid of one about that one. Well, I said Allie. Allie. I didn't say Hall. I, I said Allie. Allie. Okay. Exactly. So NASA has signed just a few days ago an agreement with citizen scientists attempting to communicate with an old spacecraft. Signed an agreement? Yeah. NASA actually authorized them to now they wouldn't NASA didn't give them any money or anything, but they agreed to allow these people to try and connect connect with the um, Sun Inter, NASA's International Sun Earth Explorer three ISEE three. Now this guy this is a pretty uh, pretty wild satellite because back in um, uh, the seventies back in the seventies. Um, the sun and earth and, and how uh, stuff affected our atmosphere. Hmm. Now, then Halley's Comet and another comet showed up, and so NASA decided to, uh, through a conjunction of the way the, the orbits were running, that they could actually send that satellite out to go chase down a couple of comets. Hmm. Well... 30 years later, this asteroid's coming back to home. It was going to do a flyby of Earth and the moon. That's so what these guys got the bright idea of, is that they can contact the satellite, convince it to fire its rockets, which they're hoping it's got enough fuel, to put it back into the original orbit, or close to the original orbit it was at to begin with, where it could go back to studying um, the sun and the Earth and the interaction between the two through the solar wind. So what you're saying is they had to move them? Well, they're going to try. They And NASA agreed to allow them to try and take control of the satellite. Hmm. Now, this is actually something really new for NASA, as far as I can tell. Yeah, they usually just leave their crap up there. Well, this thing's been flying around the sun for 30 years. Yeah. So, but it's the, the interesting thing is, is the satellite, oh, for all intents, no, actually it's not. Yeah, it's actually crazy. still in fairly... Uh, workable condition, fairly functional too. Because I was checking, I checked yeah. out the blog earlier. Amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been in, it's been in space for thirty some odd years. I know. This but is right pretty. Right next to the sun, I mean, you know. Well, it wasn't right that next to the sun. I mean, it was out in in close to the Earth's orbit, so it was far enough away not far to enough. get fried. Yeah. Okay. But. Okay. He's said near the sun, so I. I... Well, get, 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 uh, <laughs> girls. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, hey. Anyway, Give us the right information, man. What's interesting here is is a couple of things. Number one, you've got private citizens who used uh, was it Indiegogo? I think um, they used a crowdfunding technique um, to um, oh, it was Rocket Hub. They used Rocket Hub to create a crowdfunding source where they raised uh, one hundred twenty five thousand. Dollars. Then they set up a stretch goal to take them to 150 because they needed to um, increase the capacity of something to get better. Uh, what was it? Telemetry, I want to say. Uh, I forget. Um, I guess I'd have to go back and dig through it again. But they reached their stretch goal, so they were able to get the money for the extra equipment or service, what it was. Now, the first thing is, of course, that NASA agreeing to let go of the satellite. Yeah. And not charge them for it. Yeah. 
I mean, that's that's interesting. They're using the information and as a tool to teach. Yeah. So, and this is this is from um, for students. Yeah. Talk about uh, spacecraft operations. There you go. Now, what they did was is is this group of citizens basically they established a uh, a company called Skycorp, and Skycorp has several uh, members of the crew who are, even now, last I heard uh, this last week, we're down in Arecibo, um, getting ready to uh, make that initial communication, which is due in, in just a few days, as, I'm, as I believe. So there's going to be some exciting news next week. Hopefully we'll be able to report. Uh, it would be nice if we could report success that they actually uh, were able to get it, to communicate with it, and get it to fire, yeah. fire its engines. So that'll be interesting. We can look forward to next week's program. Um, you know, we've all been following this publicity nightmare that starts out with Russia um, getting into Crimea and then Crimea being annexed by Russia and then the U.S. and European Union throwing sanctions at Russia like bad rotten tomatoes, okay? It has about as much effect. Um, and Russia then retaliating to NASA and the U.S. for those sanctions by throwing a tantrum and saying, okay, well, we won't play with you after 2020 and all this kind of stuff. So now this then triggered something because SpaceX got involved in the politics and the legal system by claiming ULA was doing two things that it, that it really shouldn't do. One, it was using Russian engines for their space, for, for their launch craft, mm-hmm. the Delta IVs. Now, the, um, the RD-180 engines produced in Russia by Energomash. Boy, that's a weird-sounding name on yeah, this side is. of the continent, isn't it? Energomash. Whoa, what was that? I'm thinking of the Monster Mash. <laughs> that's what got to my mind. Anyway, okay, sorry for the segue. Sorry for the segue there. But anyway, support on this country is now growing because... There are there is political pressure. I mean, even John McCain, Senator John McCain from Arizona, got into it last oh, week. Wow, that's it. That sent a sent a request um, to get involved in it, and so support is growing for the U.S. or ULA to build a new U.S. rocket engine. Now, and you know, there's there's good reason. I mean, the U.S. itself uh, it, it hasn't built a new engine in a long time. And that's definitely an issue. But we've got, eh, we've still got some time. I mean, ULA has said clearly that they've got an inventory enough to support for two years of launches of their spacecraft in order to assure that military and, and United States launches will be able to go off without hitch. Of course, i got to say, SpaceX is expecting to launch, their, do their um, um, initial launch of their Falcon Heavy this coming year. That's about time. Yeah, well... It's not necessarily that it's about time, but SpaceX is, is staying on track. And i got to tell you, if, in my opinion, if, if ULA don't get, get their head out of the shadows 
and start getting some serious work done here on their own nickel. Yeah. SpaceX is going to leave them in the dust. Yeah. Well, that's what competition is all about. Because SpaceX has got a double whammy with the with the Falcon Heavy. They're currently working on a reusable booster. Hmm. And just this last, uh, in the last four weeks, they brought their last booster down, and it hovered for about, give or take, six to eight seconds in the ocean. And we, we actually looked at some of the video feed. It was kind of hard to, to see, but they did have some good photos out of it. But the second whammy is, is that SpaceX is developing this heavy booster. If they build a booster that is recoverable, landable on the ground, and relaunchable within a week even, and on top of that, it's reusable, and you're looking at heavy launch capabilities, this could bury ULA. I mean, it seriously could bury ULA and most of the other heavy lift launching companies out there. So, you know, if they don't get off the stick and start getting a new engine going post-haste and really, you know, take advantage of whatever it is they have that corresponds to the old skunk works, they need to do something. And they need to do it soon. They've been sitting on their laurels long enough. And I guarantee you that pretty soon um, the citizens in in Congress aren't going to stand for it. They're going to expect them to do something on their own nickel. I seriously doubt that um, Congress is going to let ULA bring the RD-180 back. They're going to challenge them, I think, to get some stuff done. Public opinion, I mean, granted, there there aren't that many people, but there is enough public opinion that, you know, if, if the wind shifts just right, Congress will act to make it look like they're doing something. And in this year of all these weird Obama things and, and weird stuff with unemployment and Obamacare, you know, it's, there's a lot of weird stuff flying around the the Capitol. So it'll be interesting to see how this continues to play out. Who yells at who? Yeah. All right, here's a question for you. I'm yelling at you got Steve Jobs there. And he's dead until in the news. I mean, what's up with that? <laughs> okay, we've, we've got, you know, it, it's funny the way things work in the world today. You, you know, just, just to, in the last year or so, with the successful release of the Iron Man 1 and 2 films, and I believe, is there, there's not an Iron Man 3 out yet, is there? It's, it's, it's already been long gone, son. No, it's come and gone? Oh, yeah. Okay. You and I haven't seen it yet. Uh-huh, okay. Well, three Iron Man films, hugely successful, and, and, and a lot of the press are actually referring to Elon Musk as Tony Stark. Yeah. I mean, it, on the one hand, it's kind of laughable, but on the other, you got to give Elon Musk some credit. I mean, the guy's got three major corporations in this country in three different technological arenas. I think it's, it's humorous to me that here we're referring to an actual real person as somebody who's fictitious and actually a comic book star. Mm-hmm. I mean, hello? <laughs> well, not only that, but, but take a look at Tony Stark. Tony Stark has been a weapons. His company was a weapons designer. Right, but just in bed with the government as if he was sleeping with the president himself. Well, if it was a woman, he would have been. Oh yeah, there there you go. There you go. Uh, Oh, (laughs) Gina Davis. You know, if she'd have been president in his movie, he'd have had her. I guarantee you. Of course, he's a lot shorter than she is. 
Yeah, she's just easy. No, she's not. Hey, she wasn't. She wasn't. She was in the movie. Earth Girls Are Easy. So therefore, oh, she that's must be. right. Yeah. She was. She she went for aliens with really long tongues. Oh yeah, that so that's was, another story entirely. That was a scary scene. That one. Boy, <laughs> that's scary for you. Send shivers. I mean. <laughs> Get that phone number, man. But what we got up here is we. There's an interesting article, and they they go back and forth, and and they really talk about some interesting uh, both comparisons um, and differences um, in in what they did. Well, uh, they did and, a Steve Jobs versus Elon Musk. Yeah. That's, it's funny. Right. And and both of them are have just been powerful men in their industries. When yeah. you look at what they did, yeah. powerful men. Yeah. They, they accomplished a boatload of stuff. Um, and they've been strong leaders in in their technological area, um, and so it's hard to say. You know, one better than the other. Which tech legend actually accomplished more? You know, when you well, look at the you little sidebar there. Who people like? I mean, you know, honestly, when Steve Jobs well, was around, I mean, nobody really liked him. Yeah. Well, because he was he was literally he, he was he was arrogant. He was uh, an arrogant hard ass. Yes. But he got stuff done. Yes, I mean, this was a man that brought the iPhone, the see. iPad, the, what was yeah. that little thing, the iPad, not the mini, the, the one before the iPhone. It was a the sh- iPhone? Uh, it wasn't a phone. It was, it was a music sh- player. Yeah, that's, uh... <laughs> Come on. Oh, man. Come on, Miss Music Girl with a son who yeah. drives you yeah. nuts with it. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, he, he built that. <laughs> He's designed. He he literally, as I recall, iPod. In the news, iPod yeah. yeah. As I recall, Steve Jobs you rescued. Change, change your, you know, he was booted out of Apple, his own company. I know. <laughs> then asked to come back and what, save the company. What a badass! Well. Yeah, he's booted out, and then he's asked to come back and save the company. I, well, yeah. And not only does he save the company, so, but he puts it on top of the heap again. So what do you think Apple's going to do in order to get him back to life so that way they can ask him to do that again? <laughs> um, I hear they're working with the Transhumanist Society, and he's headed ah, somewhere. That's got to be there it. You know, they're going to send him back to the zombie. There you go. I know. They're going to send somebody back in time. Oh, my God, yes. Take his severed head with them, a la Star Trek Next Gen, <laughs> and reattach it to his body and bring him back to life. Okay. Anyway. Well, there's, that reminds me of the movie we saw last night. Oh, yeah. Them yeah, frozen heads. X-Men. Yeah, frozen heads getting Yeah, I know. That was, that was just creepy. I know. So you have to think, oh, my God, that was an actual person. <laughs> you know? Somebody, Iceman beheaded. Iceman beheaded. You know, and the squish. That's just not nice. <laughs> in other news, okay, we're we're kind of looking for this is this is another thing we'll be covering in more detail next week uh, as SpaceX is about to unveil its. Well, you didn't say who won. No, I'm going to let him read the article. Steve versus Elon Musk. Go read the article. I check mean, it obviously out. Obviously, the dead man can't win. Why not? Well, he has nobody well, to fight for him. Yeah. Well, no. The question was who accomplished more. Oh. Now, the well, thing is, yes, Elon Musk has still got more time. Right. And that's Steve Jobs, you know, he's, he's pretty much done. He's SOL. Yeah, there's not much more he can accomplish, <laughs> even for the grave. Yeah. You know, so yeah. 
there is that. Now, moving on to other news now, okay? okay. We've got SpaceX. It's, it's kind of exciting. Everybody's on pins and needles. We're looking forward. The, the new crewed Dragon is about to be unveiled this week. Yes, um, as I understand, uh, they're going to make the announcements and release um, the, the unveiling on Thursday the 29th, which is next Thursday, which will give us a few days to review it and, and look at the pictures, um, get an idea of what, what we're looking at. Uh, so that's going to be exciting as we uh, get to look forward to There's a little article in VB uh, <laughs> News. What are you grinning at? <laughs> I got this really weird vision. Of, you know how they, they, they unveil something and, and you got like, you know, a woman and a man on, you know, newscaster talking about, you know, the pros and cons of each and they're just, it, you know, going back and forth and anyway, I just had a weird vision about that. It would be a couple old geezers actually talking about it. Uh-huh. Okay. Scientist geezers. Alien spacecraft. Alien spacecraft. Okay. Well, Elon said when he announced it, uh, many months back actually, that it's going to look more alien than like anything that space programs have developed before. And there was an image released or leaked, if you want to call it that, um, about two, three weeks ago um, of a model. And it does look a little more alien than what we're used to, because it's got thrusters on the sides of the capsule. Thrusters. Thrusters. Yeah, I know your mind is going. The shape of that capsule on the on the end of that I trunk. Seen that yet, man. Yeah, I, I can see that. your mind going now. The capsule sits on the trunk, and that trunk has thrusters. Hey, I can't help it. You guys call these these things. <laughs> Well, in, in other dragon news, other dragon news, other dragon news okay. when the last capsule came down from the ISS, uh-huh. um, it did a, a, a water landing, and after splashdown, they didn't find any damage, but they did find that there was water inside the capsule. Yeah. Um, now, what I kind of find interesting <laughs> is... He his pants. <laughs> no, there wasn't anybody in there. Ah. Uh, but they, they brought down a lot of... Uh, a lot of the uh, cargo that came back in the capsule was uh, a bunch of NASA missions and various other components that, that the astronauts from the ISS were sending back. Hmm. Um, and apparently, I mean, uh, to, to read the article, it sounds like, you know, the, the guys in charge of the NASA stuff, like, I mean, it sounds like they dropped the ship on the deck of the, uh, they dropped the capsule on the deck of the recovery ship, and these guys opened the hatch, reached in, pulled the NASA stuff out, hopped on a helicopter and headed for Cape Canaveral, for all I can tell. I mean, it sounds like they were that in a hurry to get that stuff out of the capsule. They didn't even look. And it was only the people after the fact who then looked in the capsule and realized, oh, hey, there's water in the bottom of this. How do we get water in here? We better find this out. So uh, probably uh, very soon, hopefully, they'll give us some idea of what, what allowed water to leak in. Get them fired. Well, you know, I think somebody forgot to put the cork in the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and darn cork, I tell you, this is the same place. Well, that when it hit the hit the water at that rate of speed, of course it's going to pop its cork. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, moving on. Moving on. Um, in our commentary section tonight, and what I think we're going to do is we're going to take a break at this point. 
um, and for station identification and things like that. Uh-huh. So I'm going to turn it back over to our engineer lady here. And we'll be back in a few minutes. That's the KWAD Radio, and this is Patty Holstrand. And I just want to say, hey, if you guys are interested in actually going out and shooting up something and just getting the aggression out, then go out to VIP Airsoft over on Gilbert in, in Gilbert, and uh, it's just right off the baseline and velvet between velvet, right over by the fries. So that's a great place to be shooting, some, you know, shooting some BB guns off. That way, you do that safely. It's all family thing. You know, bring the whole family and shoot off some BB guns. Also, uh, we'd like to thank a couple of our sponsors from uh, from Leprechaun that we uh, had in order to be able to help us out. Glitter is one of them. Glitter is a brand new uh, app. It's their things give life to your reality. Create a commercial, a product pitch, an invitation, an announcement, a resume, uh, to get a job in, you know, obviously this kind of market, the mobile, a newsletter, literally anything you'd like to bring to life with audio, video, and picture and text. So glitter.glttyr.com, glitter. I also like to thank Betsy. Betsy is a is an author who wrote uh, a wonderful book about her. You know, it's a book about her family. I say specifically uh, her daughter who became her son and uh, all the things that they had to go through being one of the very first uh, youth or or, young adult uh, transgender uh, operations and everything that they had to go through together. Uh, It's a wonderful family story about heartache and and, everything they had to go through with uh, hormones and, and things that have, they have to go through. Uh, you know, it's a wonderful one woman. I uh, just love that say she's got her own butt now, and I and so proud of her actually having got it done. Anyway, she has helped us out and uh, being able to get uh, you know just more more music and more sh- stories out to you guys. And we're gonna go on a short recess here with some music.
<laughs> this is KWOD Radio, and this is Shadi Hellstrand. And yes, wouldn't you like to know what we're laughing about? <laughs> no, I'm Joe, and this is Al. Howdy. Just a space geek and a... Henri Check. Henri who? Henri Check. Oh, Henri Check. Okay. Wasn't quite sure about that. <laughs> All right. This this hour is what we're going to start dedicating to our commentary section. And in the commentary, we're going to comment on stuff. And you may not like it. You we may already, like it. I we, we already commented. If anything, well, we talked How about... How does that from our other commentary? The other stuff is just news. brief commentary. It's, it's, we're discussing the news. We're... We're expounding on expounding. the insights presented. Okay. We're not really commenting a, a lot about opinion or, you know, value judgments or things like that. that that's the difference. In the commentary okay. section, we're offering hard-headed value judgments that may have no bearing on fact, <laughs> um, but they're just they're, they're coming off the top of our head extemporaneously. Um, and, you know, there... Given that as our lead-in, there is a post on NASA Watch. Now, keep in mind, it's not a NASA website. It's uh, it's just a, it's a commentary area. And gentlemen, by the keep calling. Even though they call it NASA Watch. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're watching NASA is what they're doing. Okay. And uh, somebody got it. Somebody's got it. Now, on there, they they referred to a recent article that we talked about last week. And that is, is that the Air Force is spending $60 million and using as many as 100 people to certify Elon Musk's SpaceX for launching military and spy satellites. Now, you know... <laughs> I like that picture. Yeah, you know, head in the sand, that's, that's our so government. You guys, you guys, just so you know, we are listing all of these links that we're talking about as we're doing it, so they're clickable. You just click on them, and you can see what I'm I'm seeing, which is a guy with a head in his hand. Yeah. With a butt up in the air. <laughs> Ready to get kicked. Or whatever. Yeah, it makes a great target, doesn't it? Yeah. But, you know, the thing is, the, the heading or the title of the particular posting says, uh, and, and people wonder why government space is so expensive. Well, sure. And, and one of the points that's made in the comments is that the Air Force is going through a certification process for which NASA has probably already done. And what is it that the Air Force is going to certify? Most likely, they're going to certify people to qualify for security clearances. But you know what I'm thinking here. What? Wouldn't wouldn't these people already have security clearances? Well, yeah. Because they've got to deal with controlled substances like rocket fuel. Yeah, you can't just you know. You can't just go out and buy that. Uh, we saw that and what was that space uh, farmer? Oh, astronaut farmer. Astronaut farmer. Yeah, all the rigmarole he had to go through yeah, just to get just fuel. To get, just to get the right fuel for his rocket. You know, I, I can't imagine that SpaceX didn't do due diligence oh, sure. when they hired these people, and many of them have probably already got clearances because many of them most likely, well, some of them. I, I know SpaceX has a very different 
um, culture culture at their at their organization very different from the NASA culture okay NASA has a problem they have NIM syndrome <laughs> NIH syndrome not invented here syndrome if it ain't invented here we can't look at it SpaceX on the other hand okay they, it's not about not invented here. It's like everything's invented here. Uh-huh. But they're taking other people's tech, modifying it, making it work for them, as well as developing things in-house. And that's what's exciting about SpaceX. They're not willing to take some idea here, whether it's in-house or not, and just develop it as is. They're going to fit it into their entire culture, make it work, or discard it. It's not about whether it's invented at SpaceX or not. It's about is it a good idea. And that's what sets SpaceX apart from the NASA culture. Okay. Now, in this instance, it's a government issue. When, you know, again, I, the point I was going to say is, is that, or that I was saying, SpaceX, being the company that they are, in order to get government launches, had to assure certain security clearances, if for nothing else, the people had to negotiate with NASA for sensitive technology. Sure. You know, this is... This they is, didn't want to... It ain't rocket science, guys. It's called paper pushing. <laughs> well, hey, you know, the paper pushers have to work, too. Well, yes, they do. They do. It's, it's, uh, my, my father often said... The government is in the business of providing jobs. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. And that's about the most effective thing that they do. But those jobs aren't always productive. Well, I didn't say productive jobs. Well, that's true. That's true. You know, I have to admit, though, one of the things that I wish the government's could do, and of course, if they did, then we wouldn't need SpaceX, or SpaceX wouldn't be out there, or Bigelow, or or Virgin, or any of the other companies out there. Um, but um, the governments, literally, I, and, and and I agree with you. I love that picture. It really represents <laughs> yeah. the impression that government is giving. And, and uh, quite honestly, that could be Russia thumbing its buttocks at the U.S. Yes, but I don't think it wants its head in the sand doing that. <laughs> well. That's the impression I get. Their head is in the sand. sand. They're wanting to go back in time to the Cold War, where Russia was against the, where East was against West. Right, right. And they're they're doing these things to get. Aren't we past all that, people? No, seriously, we're not. Look at the rhetoric between Obama and Putin. Yeah. Okay. And was it was it was Dmitry? What's his name? Well, says okay. NASA, go take your astronauts and use a trampoline to send your astronauts to space? Come on. How childish can you be? But then again, how childish have we seen our own government officials and politicians in this country? Yeah, I know. But it looks like slap them all up. (laughs) You know what? I got an idea. Let's let's all move. No, 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 no. no. Let's let's move to the moon and throw rocks. We'll just lob rocks off the moon. Let them fall down and hit Russia and, and the U.S. all together. Just, just do that. That's what we ought to do. We've got to move up to the moon and, and, and throw rocks 
at the government and let them try and get a missile up to us. Just let them try. <laughs> Here, I'll take this. Take that. <laughs> get try. off a big rock and they're going to make it through there. Uh, you know, but, you know, it, it really is true how we live in a really exciting time. Um, you've got SpaceX developing reusable uh, launch craft. Uh, their, their craft can already, and already has four times now, delivered uh, supplies and brought home equipment from the space station. Uh, even Soyuz can't do that. They cannot bring as much home well, as... Well, to show you. You know. They can send cargo up. That's the problem that Russia's having, see? They don't like us because we're doers. I would agree with you, except this week I was doing some reading on the Soviet launch system. Now, the Soviet launch system is actually far more robust than any U.S. launch system. It's been around longer. Well, the Soyuz, the Soyuz system. They haven't bothered to upgrade. Well, no, they've been upgrading regularly. They've they've had upgrades over the over the entire forty years that the Soyuz system's been in play. But what the Russians focused on was practicality and functionality. They wanted it to work. They wanted it to work consistently every time. Sadly, it hasn't. They've had more challenges to face than the U.S. system, but then the U.S. has developed overall a little slower, a little more meticulously. But the U.S., the Western... We had a cooler boat, cooler rocket. We had a hell of a lot cooler rocket. I mean, this big, long, slender um, phallic symbol. Yeah, I know where you were headed. I know exactly no, where you were headed. No, no. Two toys the other way. What do they look like? No, yeah, okay, <laughs> right. Anyway. That's just wrong. So we're talking about this guy in the sand. Well, most government, I really think, again, the, the image is apropos. Governments, even NASA, has got its head in the sand. This whole not invented here syndrome is, is really, it's, it's kicking her ass. Well, here, let me just give I you know. some, here's, here's some fast facts. Back in, back in the 80s, um, they worked out um, basically a closed system life support based on plants. They put a bunch of plants in one side of a, a two-cell sealed uh, container. They put a guy on the other side. They had him just exercise and live for a few days. And what they found was is the plants produced not only enough air for, for him, but if he started exercising and needed more oxygen, the CO2 that he gave out gave the plants more air for them to produce more oxygen in return. It's amazing. Well, it's natural systems. It's it's really, it is really amazing that natural systems can be that adaptable and flexible in things like this. Uh, Another fast fact, back in in 80, I want to say, yeah, around about 1985, NASA was working on an inflatable habitat unit called the TransHab. And at some point, their budget changed, and they had to abandon the TransHab development. Well, Robert Bigelow comes along about 12 years ago, give or take, and he licenses the technology 
turns around and builds a freaking hotel. It's not a hotel. (laughs) Gee, it's a research facility. Space hotel. It's a research facility. Whatever. All right, I'll compromise. It's a research hotel. There you go. All right. But he's actually got one built sitting on his factory floor ready to launch. NASA never got that far. Yeah. They never really got off the drawing board. Um, so, so question is... And these are just two items it, that We're NASA talking about has. innovators who, who take discarded technology and make it their own, but better. Sure. But see, Bigelow went even one better. Back in 06 and 07, he actually put his money where his mouth is, launched two prototypes of this um, inflatable habitat into orbit. Now, as far as we know, they're still up there. I, I would imagine they'd probably send a ping up there once in a while to make sure they're still awake. <laughs> but last checked a couple of years ago, they were still in orbit, still intact. I mean, that's seven years these have been up there. They're in a high orbit. Right. Right around 300 and, uh, I want to say around 400 sure, sure miles. They're just sitting there waiting for somebody to knock on the door. Well, they, they're kind of small. They're all of six feet wide and about eight feet long. I mean, they're, not, they're prototypes. Well, but it's awesome yeah. that he built these and launched them on his yeah. own nickel. Go to, now, this is an interesting point. Bigelow, as far as I know, has not received any Space Act funding. Everything Robert Bigelow has done, he's done on his own nickel. I love it. Okay. So that's that's an interesting thing about Robert Bigelow. Now, the downside is, is I think he's pigeonholing himself, though. Here's here's a thought. Sure. You know, his his space habitat uses a proprietary layered material in the inflatable component. But you know, I think I think he's making a mistake because he's waiting for the market to develop for the entire habitat. He's willing to launch it, but he wants to make sure he's got customers to pay for the rental of the, well, the space to do research. Yeah, you know, honestly, that's, a, to me, for business. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I mean, you put it up there, you think that there's, there's going to actually create the market for it? If it ain't there, nobody's going to lease it. And they're not going to pay a lot of the other peripheral fees that should come as a part well, of the package. The thing is that but here's, here's, here's what I'm saying. Okay. I think Bigelow's doing fine. I think, I think waiting the habitat until the market materializes for the leases, I think is probably a good way to go. However, I think he's missing the boat on a few other things he could be doing to generate revenue. Oh, I agree. Because I've said on multiple occasions that actually he could be increasing his, he could be pushing this forward just by doing more, getting the information out to the to the masses. He, he does, a, they all, all of these companies do a pretty good job yeah. of getting the information out. And there's a large group of space advocates yeah. who push that information but further two, out. Two or three years ago, I didn't know anything about any of these. Well, things. that's true. But th- that's what you get for hooking up with a space geek. Yeah, no. It's all your fault. So, but here, here's yeah, what, say that hold on a second. I want to get to the point I want to make. Bigelow could increase his market potential if he were to do one of two things. Mm-hmm. One thing that NASA needs that he could provide is he could extend the life of the International Space Station. Sure. He could provide wrappers 
for the various modules up there. And we're talking about, like, cellophane. No. We're not talking kinky here. <laughs> we're talking blankets, all right? Sure. One of the challenges that the sure modules that the ISS face uh-huh. is that each of these modules are made out of metal. Okay. And every 90 minutes, this thing goes completely around the Earth. So it's spending 45 so minutes it's in the sun. Then. It's basically aluminum foil. And what happens when you get aluminum foil hot, and then you get it really cold, and then you get it hot again? You do that to any metal. And those constant well, heating hard, and, and cooling, and it's going to get brittle over time. So yeah. they've, a lot of these Probably modules works. have wrap on them. They have a, a, a blanket around them to help reduce that impact. Mm-hmm. But you're still getting a huge amount of heat and cold up there. Um, cold, huh? Why not put a, put another blanket on it? Have Bigelow make quilts that could be launched up and wrapped around these modules, but have these quilts with something that would add. Okay? Okay. Have the quilts with um, tubes in them that could hold water uh-huh. or fuel. You could extend the space station. You could extend its capacity of both water storage, of uh, fuel storage, by storing those liquids inside the layers of this extra quilt going around the, the, the modules. Quilt. Okay. It's, it's the idea you literally That's a homey just, little feel to it, yeah. Yeah. You just wrap the station in a little quilt and, and different comfy, modules. Yeah. Key modules. Now, his, his layered material is a better radiation shield. Mm. It's a better thermal blanket. Uh-huh. And if you add that little bit of where you can put a tube in there, where you can add connectors to it so that each wrap could then wrap to another piece and you could have this really long uh, coil of water all the way around the space station, the extra layering for radiation, for water storage or fuel storage or whatever you want to do provides a huge boost to what the station already has. Hmm. You should write a paper on that. Nah. One of these days I get rich and famous, I'll go see Robert and let him know. Hey, Robert. Or actually, you know what I ought to do is, is license Tech. Yeah, oh, well, we, should, we should send here's him to say, hey, Robert. Should, here's what we should do. We should license his tech <laughs> yeah. and go off and sell the blankets ourselves. There's there an go. idea. Hey. I'll bet he licenses that for a percentage of the revenue. Sure. I'll bet he would. There's an idea. But I got a better one. Take his BA-330, the big module he's got sitting on the factory floor. Mm. And instead of define it... Instead of defining it for manned use, stick a fuel bladder inside. Take okay. two great big balloons, one so, on each end. What did I say? I'm not going there. Okay. Two balloons. Now, one's going to be, because of the, the ratios that they use in the fuel, one's going to be a lot bigger. But take these, take yeah, two balloons and fill hurt. them full of fuel. Uh-huh. Liquid hydrogen, liquid oxygen. <laughs> and then whatever you'd need to do inside. Two balls to, side by side. Basically yeah. two bladders. Okay. Two bladders. Bladders. Fuel bladders inside. Each one 
can be connected to at the hatch end of the module. Now, these bladders could also um, be flexible enough so that they wrap around the central core of, of the, uh, the habitat module. But this would be a great way to get a fuel module or a fuel depot up in orbit. Fuel depot, that's cool. And that would be an awesome thing to do. Yeah. Because if you had a fuel depot up there, and if he was the gas man. Hitchhiker's <laughs> Guide to the Galaxy. There you go. There you go. Let Bigelow be the gas man as well as yeah. the hotel guy. Or actually, wait a minute. Hey, I just have a, I, here's an idea. Yeah. Here's an idea. Yeah, maybe Air Liquide. Do you know who Air Liquide is? No. It, it, it's actually, a, I believe it's a French company, and they produce a lot of liquid oxygen, liquid nitrogen. They also produce a lot of gases around the world for people to buy welding gases, uh, Freon, all sorts of stuff. Hmm. And you can buy it in bulk from them. Uh, I don't know who, if they're one of the suppliers for launches or not, but I know that a company like Air Liquide, or whoever produces the fuel for NASA and SpaceX launches, they could order a module from Bigelow, hoist it into orbit, and put a put a fuel depot up there. They could even go into partnership with Bigelow for that. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that could be happening today that could be revenue producing. If you had extra fuel available in orbit, that depot could come to you. Gives whole new meaning to the word home delivery. <laughs> <laughs> the ISS could. I you know the thing is that there. I you know I just think we need to get to the moon first. You know. But to get to the moon, I, I agree that the, these these home de- you know the fuel depot. Would be a cool thing. But here's the thing. Here's one and of the challenges. And it would challenges. be also yeah, feasible. Here's the thing. If you're going to launch to the moon, you've got to have a big-ass rocket. That's what I always say. Not the little rockets you get down at that corner store. But we're talking something on the order of, of Saturn V in order to get to the moon. Because what you're having to do is lift everything into orbit with enough fuel on board mm. to get to the moon and, in the case of Apollo, to get to the moon and come back. That's a lot of fuel. That's a lot of fuel. Yeah. Now, you and I have talked, um, and, and I've um, interviewed on, on your shows before, talking about homesteading space. Mm-hmm. And what we've talked about is similar to what Mars One talks about in making a one-way trip to Mars. You send settlers, their job, they get there, they have what they need to survive, but they're not coming home. And that makes a lot more sense. The pilgrims did not think about going back to England after they set up a farm. No. The American settlers who left... Um, they left Pittsburgh England. and they left New York, England. and they left St. Louis to go out west right. and get their own farm. They were tired of the congestion and the lack of jobs and all the problems that were in society at the time, sure. and they moved out west. They did not think about going back home. No. There was no back home. There was no going home. There was no going home. And, you know, we've, we've talked many times about this, yeah. that I believe that's the only way we're going to be able to afford going to space. But the reality is that... 
you've either got to have this big-ass rocket, and, and you can't do it with just one rocket anymore. We don't have the Saturn V anymore. You've got to use two launches. Every plan I've seen so far uses two launches to get everything into orbit to send it either to the moon or to Mars. doesn't matter. Well, you know, I'm surprised it's... I, you, you've got a woman on board, apparently, because you need two launches to take her lunch. Ah, I think the uh, luggage up there, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's not about the luggage. It's about being multi-orgasmic. You know, that's, I wasn't even going to go there, but you said yeah. two times. Say like two times, well, you know, yeah, I go more yeah, yeah, twice, yeah, yeah. but that's okay. Sounds like a personal problem, but anyway. Hey, I don't have personal problems. But the thing is... Are we moving? Are we moving on to the next article? <laughs> are we eventually moving on to the next article? Yeah, that's 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 our closing article that we want to talk about. That, oh, that's just well, what about the other stuff then? No, that's from last week. Oh. Yeah, okay. I'm trying to keep a rolling record of what we talk about. Oh. That way, in case somebody calls record. up and says, "Hey, what you you talked about this two weeks ago and what was about?" I can get to the link and go boom. Yeah, yeah, that would be it. nice. You know what? Seven one four two four two five one four five. You know what? I know you guys are sitting there listening because, you know, I see the numbers afterwards, so don't be shy. We're not. <laughs> Chime in. Yeah, call and just raise. Heck, I don't know. You know, this is your guys' platform, too. We don't just talking to each other. And we talk to each other all the time. We don't need to do this now. Come on. Cut the idea is, you know, the time is right. I mean, when we compare... Yeah. Um, the way things are with you've got Bigelow, you've got Virgin, you've got Xcor, you've got all of these companies mm-hmm. about to to literally launch an entire industry. I think that the common man is finally learning about these groups. Mm-hmm. But it's still slow. Well, sure. Here's the disconnect that exists. Has to do that, yeah. The common man knows this stuff is out there. They know about Virgin. They know about X-Core. Well, sure they know about Suborbital. Virgin because they're, they're attached to cell phones. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, th- they know about, they, they have an understanding that Bigelow's in the news once in a while. They understand that, that SpaceX is in the news almost every week. Yeah. Something's going yeah, on. Um, and the ISS has been getting plugs because of the interplay by between Russia and the U.S. and all the sanctions and all this kind of crap and the RD-180 engines. But yeah, I still, there's... I kind of tired of listening to the, the NASA rhetoric. Though. Yeah. But the problem that still exists has to do with the idea that the common man is still disconnected from the space advocacy groups. Because the space advocacy groups are only just now, and I'm talking the last few months, coming to the realization that NASA is not the papa anymore. NASA cannot make things happen anymore. Yeah, but there's still some diehards who... There are a lot of diehards that feel that Mars Direct from Mars Society is the only way to go. They apparently haven't looked at our, our current government budget. Well, it's, it's not even about the budget either, because it can't be about the budget. Okay. Getting to space, becoming a multi-planet species, has to be about the species, not government. In my opinion, if you look, okay. it's not even opinion. You look at history. Government sent Columbus out. Government sent Magellan. They sent all these other guys out 
to explore, to find resources, to find colonies, oh, sure. to they find to the, the new things. They, they wanted to find things to exploit. All right? And that's all fine and well and good. That's what governments do. They exploit everything. But governments don't fund settlement. Never have, never will. Governments do not fund settlement. They fund penal colonies. They fund forts. They fund military. They fund some exploration. When that exploration promises them riches or land or value that they can gain, then the government will fund it. But when it means building homes for people who are tired of the same old, same old crap and poverty and misuse of government, no, government's not going to fund that. NASA has no reason to develop a settlement vision. None whatsoever. Never going to happen. And in fact... Well, I'm the wrong person to argue about that. Well, yeah. There is still people who think that NASA's current plan to deliver people to, well, one of their plans was to go to the moon, build a habitat, place a habitat on the surface of the moon, and then have it visited on an average once a year by a crew of between two and four, and then they'd come home. So kind of like the ISS on the moon. Well, no. The ISS has been permanently habited for almost 10 years, 10 years, maybe more. Well, then why can't we do that with the habitat on the moon? <clears throat> you know, I don't see any reason why we couldn't. It makes a lot more sense. But there's a problem with it. The international, well, there is that. The International Space Station took the European Space Agency, Russia, China, Japan, and the U.S., and a couple of others that joined late in the game, to build. Took them all. Took all their budgets. This thing is a multi-gazillion dollar money pit. You remember the movie Money Pit? Mm-hmm. Love that movie. Things were breaking left and right. <laughs> and no matter how much they, they really tried mm, yeah. to make it work. work, the problem is the International Space Station was built for research. It wasn't built to live in. Mm. There you go. It wasn't built as a home first. If it had been built as a home first, there are certain things you do first. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do those first. They right. did the engineering first. Right. In other words, you rebuild a foundation first. They didn't put in a foundation. Exactly. So I've, I've Trying to do the same thing on the moon. Long-term plan. Right. right. But even so, trying to do the same thing on the moon would lead to the same problems. It's an engineering view it results in an engineering solution instead of looks at it as a home, some place to live permanently. 
And that changes the whole perspective. Because now you're not looking at visiting for six months. Now you're not looking at getting a supply list every six to eight weeks. You can't just up and launch uh, a Delta Heavy or a SpaceX Heavy, a Falcon Heavy, every six weeks. And send it to the moon. It's a week-long trip. We just don't have the funds to income for that. There's, it's, it's not about, not, there's an interesting mis- misnomer to that. It's not that we don't have the money. It's that NASA and the space agencies that exist today do not have the will to work with the public and build a settlement, a space settlement paradigm. Ah. They're not about settlement. No government agency is going to build a settlement program. Not going to happen. As I said earlier, governments don't fund settlement. Ever. Never have. They've built forts and let people live around them. But the forts don't supply the people. No, they supply their own. They supply their own. Forts will provide protection in an emergency. Engine attack. Buffalo stampede, whatever. Blood. Yeah. <laughs> well, then the whole fort disappears. But hey, yeah. <laughs> oh, just a really big mess. Yeah, it's a real big mess. Yep. And you know those 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 walls of those forts are built with big logs with spikes in the end of them. Spikes. Well, yeah, they got pointy tips on them. Pointy tips. Pointy tips. Sharp pointy tips. Sharp pointy tips. Hacked into pointy tips with swords and sabers. And axes and hatchets. No, sure. Sharp things that I hurt. I like sharp things. Yeah, sharp things that, that, that hurt when they impact. Um, so Speaking of sharp things, I'm going to be at, at Combat Con in a couple of weeks. Well, that's right. Talk about sharp, pointy things. Uh-huh. We'll be talking about women that carry sharp, pointy things. That'd Except when you're on the space station, sharp pointy things at a space station that can't cause be, links. Well, that would probably be a problem. Yeah. 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 Gee, it would have to be short, sharp things. No, My even, daggers. even short, sharp things are a bad idea on a space station. Yeah, yeah. He has everything in a plastic bag. <laughs> As we wrap up, As we wrap up. We one for more, tonight, one more thing. we have one last thing I want to share, everybody. There's... There's some interesting things here. Um, there is an article over on space.com I found uh, curious. Um, it talks about the moon and 10 surprising lunar facts. Um, how the moon was created. Um, how okay. it's locked in orbit. And they have a brief discussion of how that works. And there's Apollo moon trees. 400 trees on Earth came from the moon. Well, sort of. Okay. They came from the orbit. How did that happen? In 1971, Apollo 14 astronaut Stuart Rosa took a bunch of seeds with him. And while the other guys were busy on the surface, he guarded his seeds. When they came back to Earth, those seeds were planted and germinated, or germinated and then planted at different sites around the country. And now they've come to be called moon trees. And most of them are doing just fine. Um, Earth has sister moons. Now, in 1999, scientists found that a three-mile-wide asteroid 
could be caught in Earth's gravitational grip, thereby becoming a satellite oh, of our planet. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Kruthne, as it's called, takes 770 That's years a little brother. Ah, to complete a horseshoe-shaped orbit around the Earth. And it'll remain in a suspended state around Earth for at least 5,000 years. So, you know, it's, it's, we didn't know we had another moon. But we do. It just I, takes I, I 700 tell, years to go around the Earth. some little brother. <laughs> keeps following around. <laughs> the moon is actually a space rock punching bag. You know, you ever seen his thing in, in Rocky and in the in the Jackie Chan films where he's always bouncing his fists against this bag hanging yeah, from the thing. Yeah, you know, the moon yeah. the moon has just really I mean it's pockmarked all over the place by heavily craters from, from different asteroids and, and uh comets and things like that. Number five it's Most uh a teenager. Uh huh. Um interesting thing, the moon isn't round. No. It's egg shaped. Egg shaped, really? Yeah. Uh huh. Hmm. And the small end of the egg points at us. And oh, so. Oh, that's why we. That's why it doesn't look like an egg. Right. They have moon quakes. They actually measured some. The Apollo astronauts picked up a few of them. Picked up uh, a few moon quakes. Well, they didn't pick them up. They sensed them. They had sensors on it. They were looking for them. And some of that equipment actually is still in service, or at least was translating a few months. Now, our moon is bigger than Pluto, and at roughly one-fourth the diameter of Earth, they think the moon is more like a planet. And the Earth-moon system is a double planet. Okay, this, this splitting hairs here. Okay, Pluto and Charon, the moon of Pluto, are more of a double planet system, because as they go around the sun... They actually do this kind of uh, um, uh, little brother thing. Little brother thing, yeah. They kind of—it's it's a little <laughs> dance annoying, in annoying Pluto's orbit. Annoying brother that just falls yeah. around, right? Another thing: motion, the moon's ocean tugs. Now, the moon is what we call tidally locked. What that and that just yeah. means that the moon's gravity causes changes on the Earth, in the oceans, and things like that. The high tide aligns with the moon as the Earth spins underneath. So, you know, when you're traveling, I don't know how it works. Yeah, I, I, I just get know it's it. kind of I get it. it's cool. I like the, gra- the gravity and, the, and, of course, the magnetism of the Earth. Yeah. Well, here's another thing. We talk about magnetism and gravity and all that kind of good stuff. According <laughs> to this little little nit, uh, this little bit here, mm-hmm. the ocean, the moon's tug on the Earth causes the Earth to slow down a little. Slows down a whole 1.5 milliseconds every century. The moon is stealing our energy. Yes, but also the moon is actually getting a little further away. Is it getting further away or is it getting closer? I heard it was getting closer. I heard it's getting further away. Is it? Okay. Eventually it's, it's supposed to lose its gravitational pull from us. Ah. And go off to who knows where. Yeah, but how should that go happen? Not in our lifetime, obviously. Well, yeah, that's, that's for sure. I'm just saying. That's yeah. an interesting tidbit. Oh, here it is. Oh, the see, last little see. tidbit. There, there it is. That's As it. you read this, the moon is moving away from it. Each year, the moon steals some of the Earth's rotational energy and uses it to repel itself about a whole 3.8 centimeters higher in its orbit. Researchers, well, researchers say that when it formed, the moon was about 14,000 miles from Earth. 
It's now more than 280,000 miles. That's a long stretch. Hey. That's, that's quite a big, I mean, you know, it does add up. You know, I can, I can imagine. Could you imagine what the tides would have been like? Without a moon. No. When the moon was that close? Oh, I know. A hundred times closer, 200 times closer. And, and no, what, 20 times. And what about women? What do you mean, what about women? Well, we're always going by the, you know, oh, man. gravitational pull of the moon. Ooh, that gives me an idea for a story. Werewolves started way back when the Earth was 14,000 miles That's closer. That's why, because it was so uh, darn close. Yeah. I know. And why we don't have any werewolves anymore, because the moon's too far away. There you go. Well, who said there's none left? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. Not my battle wick. Mm. Thanks for being with us tonight, folks. We've had we've had uh, a good time talking about uh, the next space. We hope you'll join us next time on the next space. That's going to be on next week. Next week. Next Sunday. Which is June first. June first, not April first. So it won't be April Fool. No, that was a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, well. So join us next time. Hopefully we'll have updates on uh, SpaceX uh, research looking into the water leak into the capsule on its landing. We'll also hopefully have some information more about, um, what was that other thing? Oh, the alien spacecraft uh, unveiling I from know. SpaceX. Yeah. Uh, find some more information about that. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk more uh, about Elon Musk. and. Oh, yeah. Elon Musk. We'll be talking about, oh, the information on... Uh, the citizens grabbing, uh, hopefully, taking command of that satellite, yeah. getting it into the L1 position between Earth and the sun. So that'll be something we'll be watching for next week. There you go. Um, and we'll be covering some other little tidbits and odds and ends odds and from ends. the next space. So join us next week. This is Joe. And out. This is KWAD Radio. This is Patty Holstrand signing out.